Yes, I realize I probably still sound like I'm in a bit of a tunnel, and I'm sorry about that, but next week I should have a better microphone that actually works as intended. So, welcome to another episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Today we will be talking about the Bremen Council Republic. Today our story takes place in, of course, Bremen, which is a city in northwestern Germany. It was founded in the 8th century and has been a part of every German state that has existed between then and now. Today, our story begins with it as one of the imperial states of the German Empire just before World War I. And it's important to know that Bremen, while it's only a city and its territory only extends as far as the city limits, it was its own state within the German Empire. You can think of it sort of as if Washington, D.C. achieved full statehood. And as an at least semi-major city in the early modern era, the population of Bremen has always had a largely left-leaning political affiliation, with 95% of the population voting for one left-leaning party or another just before the outbreak of World War I. Unfortunately, this clashed with the way the city's government worked, as the state parliament, or Bürgerschaft, was the legislative branch of their government and was filled with wealthy merchants, as they were the only ones who could afford to actually run for office. Additionally, the executive branch of the state or city government was the Senate, which was made up of members that had lifelong appointments to their positions. And believe it or not, Leftist ideologies do not align very well with oligarchic state governments. So our narrative today begins, as all good historical narratives do, on June 28, 1914, when a Bosnian Serb named Gavrilo Princip shot and killed Franz Ferdinand, Archduke of Austria, on the streets of Sarajevo, plunging the world into World War I. And, of course, this included the German Empire that Bremen was a part of. As I'm sure you know, Germany started to eventually lose this war, and on October 29th, 1918, the German people began a revolt against the failing empire. Within one week, it was clear to everyone in Germany that the empire itself was about to fall, so people started to rise up all over the country, and overthrow the oligarchic institutions that ruled over them. This included the working-class people of Bremen, who demonstrated by the thousands in front of their city hall or state capitol building. Soldiers began defecting and joining the side of the people, as they had much more in common with them than they did their imperial officers. And what you have to understand is that both of these people felt rather disenfranchised in their modern world. The concept of workers' rights was still rather new, and the laborers of Bremen felt exploited by the ruling elite, so they were keen to get in on a better situation. And of course, I need not explain why the German veterans of the First World War were unhappy. So, both the workers and the soldiers independently formed their own governing councils, the leaders of which met and agreed to hold joint elections in a city-slash-statewide council. So, on November 7th, the Workers' and Soldiers' Council was formed, 
comprised of 180 elected laborers and 30 elected soldiers. This council then went on to create the Action Committee from among their members, which would function as their own executive branch. The chairman of the Action Committee was Alfred Henke, a member of the Independent Social Democratic Party, which was only lightly communist. And things really got moving for the Action Committee and their council two days later, on November 9, 1918, when William II, the last German emperor, abdicated his throne and fled the country, and the revolutionaries in Berlin established a German Reich, commonly called the Weimar Republic. This meant that Bremen now functioned within a larger republican system, which the people largely liked. The Weimar Republic's first and probably most famous action happened two days after its inception, on November 11, 1918, when they surrendered to the Allied powers and officially ended World War I. Within three days, almost all imperial functionality in Bremen had completely collapsed, so Henke announced that the Action Committee would be taking over full legal control from both the Bürgerschaft Parliament and the Senate. In reality, the Senate continued operating much as it had before, but they respected the Action Committee's status as the legal successor to the Bürgerschaft. The day after his wishful announcement, Henke stood on the balcony of the Capitol building and declared that his government would stand for all the people of Bremen. He raised a red flag, which was indicative of his party's light communist tendencies, but he guaranteed the protection of private property, declaring that thieves of any kind would be punished by law. And, surprisingly enough for the time, women were also granted the right to vote. Unfortunately, Henke's new government apparatus was victim to a lot of infighting. It was clear that a socialization of Bremish society was now inevitable, but the varying spectrum of communist beliefs within the Action Committee did not always agree on how to move forward with this plan. Some called for a dictatorship of the proletariat, as is traditional in fledgling communist states, some called for the abolition of both parties and trade unions, for they saw them as dangerous to the power of the workers, and still others called for a dictatorship of the Communist Party specifically. The Action Committee was also unable to come to an agreement as to who should be allowed to run for office. The Social Democrats, which are a more moderate party than the lightly communist independent Social Democrats, advocated that council electees should come from the people. Henke, on the other hand, disagreed, arguing that since women gained the right to vote only recently, they were politically immature, so council members should only come from a selected class of individuals that had the experience necessary to hold office. The idea was that this would ensure only the capable could govern, no matter how stupid women were when they voted. Henke appears to have been ignoring the fact that there were already three women in the Workers' and Soldiers' Council, but, you know, what can you do? 
And it was during all of this infighting in Bremen that various people's councils from across Germany called upon each other to come together and form their own national convention, which would stand in opposition to the new national assembly that was set to govern the Weimar Republic. The national assembly was dominated by the moderate social democrats, which was not very agreeable to the more communist-leaning people's councils. The Workers' and Soldiers' Council of Bremen agreed to this resolution on November 19th. So, on January 6th, 1919, there was another round of elections in Bremen. And though the moderate Social Democrats won the most seats, with 109 seats going to them, Henke's lightly communist independent Social Democrats aligned with the full-fledged Communist Party to form a larger coalition of 119 seats. This made the communist-aligned far-left parties the most powerful within Bremen. Naturally, a state under radical rule would chafe under the more moderate national government, and Bremen proved this fact four days after their victory, when the Communist coalition officially denounced both the moderate Social Democrats and their own Senate, and they formally declared the Bremen Council Republic. Unfortunately, things got off to a very rocky start for the Bremen Council Republic. Within two days of their foundation, communists in Berlin attempted to overthrow the moderate Social Democrat government there, but ultimately failed. This was a huge defeat for the idea of a political opponent to the National Assembly existing, and various people's councils began collapsing across Germany as people lost faith in them. The more councils that fell, the more the Bremen Council Republic was ideologically isolated from the rest of Germany. And Bremen was further cut off from the rest of the country because Bremen communists had played an active role in the failed uprising. And at this point, there was still internal strife within Bremen, and it wasn't just little shouting matches anymore either. The soldiers within the city were hesitant to arm the people so that they may form a people's militia, and naturally the people were very upset about this. They revolted against the soldiers at the Bremen garrison on January 14, 1919, prompting the soldiers to occupy key parts of the city and begin sweeping communist hotspots looking for radicals. Shots were fired before the night was over, but I can't find any casualty numbers. And Bremen's downward spiral didn't stop there. Five days after these riots, the National Assembly's elections took place, and the moderate Social Democrats received the most votes nationwide, with more than one-third of the national parliamentary seats going to them. The independent Social Democrats, meanwhile, received just 7.6% of the national vote. This was a huge blow to the Bremen Council Republic, as the independent Social Democrats were the ruling party within the city. By January 29th of 1919, Germany's National Assembly could no longer allow the instability in Bremen to continue, 
So they sent 3,000 troops to open negotiation with the city's government. The Workers' and Soldiers' Council remained stubborn against all demands made by the national government, so the troops advanced on the city. Henke's government hastily threw together a force of 1,000 untrained and inexperienced volunteer fighters, who were very lightly armed, but the Bremers had no concrete plan of defense, so by the time the smoke cleared, 28 armed rebels and 29 civilians lay dead, and the national troops were victorious. These troops rounded up and arrested more than 260 people, locking them up in Bremen's own prison. Now that Bremen was under control, the National Assembly of the Weimar Republic officially disestablished the Bremen Council Republic on February 4, 1919. But the final nail in the coffin for the Bremen Council Republic came more than a month later, on March 9th, when Bremen had their own local elections, in which the moderate Social Democrats got more than 32% of the vote, while the independent Social Democrats got less than 20%, and their communist allies got not even 8%. Although, in fairness, the communists had formally announced that they were boycotting this election. Either way, this was the final nail in the coffin for the communist movement within the city. So, with an official lifespan of January 10th to February 4th, 1919, which is a grand total of 25 days, the Bremen Council Republic is probably one of the shortest-lived countries that we've talked about on this show. So, why was it forgotten? Let's start with the German Empire, which is where our story today began. The German Empire was composed of many smaller, functionally independent states, which included Bremen. The way these states worked alongside each other and within the empire is very confusing, as they all had different legal statuses and titles. For instance, some were independent cities, like Bremen. Others were duchies, there were counties, there were ecclesiastical states, there were even kingdoms that existed within the German Empire. The fact that there were so many different legal systems working in tandem with one another within the German Empire is generally pretty confusing, so people just write them all off as falling under the German umbrella, and that includes Bremen. And the second major reason that the Bremen Council Republic is often forgotten is the Weimar Republic, where our story ended today. The Weimar Republic itself is even more confusing than the German Empire, because it retained the administrative structures of the empire, but its history is even more shaky. For instance, most people will tell you that the Weimar Republic fell on March 23, 1933, when Adolf Hitler took power, but in reality, it existed for another decade until 1943, when Hitler officially changed the name of the German state to the Greater German Reich. So, on the one end, we start our story with a state so internally confusing it would take hours of research to fully understand how it worked. 
And on the other end, we ended our story with a state equally as confusing as the first, but made even more so because people aren't even sure when it existed. As longtime listeners of the show well know, the first half of the 1900s is very politically confusing, and Bremen unfortunately falls victim to that same issue. That's where our story ends today, but I do have a little behind-the-scenes announcement for you all. Starting next week, I will be working a new job that's going to afford me a lot more time during the week, and that means for you guys, you'll see at least maybe a little bit of an increase in quality for the show, and the Patreon at patreon.com slash historyofforgottenlands will be updated faster, and I generally won't be as pressed for time as I currently am. So I know I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully you guys see some results in terms of an increase of quality. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast, and I hope to see you again next week.